Thank you, Jesus. The life and ministry of Jesus was a misunderstood ministry. If he was the Messiah, they expected him to do physical things, political things, and power things. And what he did, of course, was power things because he overcame Satan, who offered him the kingdom. Yeah? So he chose the right fight. He didn't choose to to work through the people that were under the dominion of Satan. He chose to fight the dominion of Satan. Yeah? So there's no reason to fight the people because they're under that dominion. You want to fight the, the power that possesses the people. So Christ chose his fight wisely. You guys, the precious thing is, he overcame every adversary that man had, including death. And from that came this, this kingdom that you and I are part of. And the precious thing is, we're sons. The Bible says that we are the offspring of God. So it, it's easy to forget that, isn't it? That you've been born of the Spirit? That, that's, what, that's what Christianity is. You've been born of the Spirit of God, the very God that created the universe. You and I, walking with that Spirit and walking with God, come to the place that when somebody fights against Him, we feel the sting of it. Am I right? We feel the sting of, of that fight that goes against Him because we're part and parcel of what He is. When people deny the power of His Word, we're, we're part of that power. And He brings us to that place that He wants us to, to understand what it is to be under the sense of obedience. When I, when I grew up long, long ago and far, far away, with the exception of the dinosaurs roaming the land, almost everything was good except disobedience to anybody. I had a principle that, that knocked my brain straight out of my head by hitting my behind. They had a board about this thick full of holes. And, and another young man and I were there together. And he had the, I don't know, inquisitiveness to ask why there were holes in the board. I understood wind resistance. You, you take a piece of plywood and let it fall over, it doesn't make no noise. There's that cushion of air stops it before it hits the ground. That's what's so nice about landing an airplane. You just get down to where you're the same length off the runway that your wings are wide and then that cushion of air pushes up and you just pull back all of the throttle. There's no more power and that airplane has no choice but just to settle down and move through that air and the air cushions it land and everything's, wow, what a great landing. You even think it. But you understand the dynamics of it. Who couldn't land on a cloud of air? Now, if you, if you pull back the throttle too high, it stops flying too far off the ground, and the cushion of air isn't exactly where you are. Then people say, wow, those were the four best landings I've ever been in. Because <laughs> we bounced and we lived through it, yeah? So, but that's, that's what that presence of God does to us. He brings us into that place where we recognize, wow, He's doing these things in us. And He's completing what He started in us. And you can have confidence that He's able to do that. So, you and I are learning that sense of just obedience to Him. Let Him do what He wants to do. So, that wind resistance was broken 
And so was my sense of security in the principal's office. And the thing is, you guys, I learned lessons. I learned them easy. Because you don't have to take me back to the principal's office very many times. And I had principals that knew me well. I, I went to the high school with, I don't know, I think there was six or 700 kids in my, in my sophomore class. I was in a big gymnasium at another school, and they were having a wrestling meet, and, and the, principal, the assistant principal walks up, who was the man in charge of discipline, and he said to the coach, who's the guy out there wrestling? He didn't know his name. He said to the coach, and the coach tells him, he says, I, I, I just don't know all the names of the kids. And I said, Riceley here? Yeah. I know. <laughs> Photographic memory, I guess. But the thing is, you guys, I, I grew up in an era that my mom told me if the neighbor lady tells you something and you you don't obey her or you tell her something smart back, you'll have to come home to me. And then you'll be calling her to see if she won't adopt you. So I don't take very many cautionary notes to bring you to that conclusion, am I right? And that's what God's doing to us. He's just reminding us, you know what? We're disciplined people. How can we be the saints of God and not be disciplined by the Spirit of God? And that is exactly what we want because God knows how to bring out of us the best. Because, you guys, we want Him to do in us what He does. That's what the church was for. We're His body, yeah? I know He knows how to do that to you. I know how He does it to me. My, my grandmother took care of Gary, handsome boy back there. And I was working in McCook, Nebraska, and she lived in Trenton, Nebraska, and that's where I lived. And boy, that was convenient. Then in the wintertime, when I got cold, she moved to Colorado to live with my aunt and my mom. Boy, is that a convenient thing, yes? Yes. Yeah. Except if she's a babysitter. So while I'm in the process of transition, I take the cutie pie out to, to my mom to watch him, and now I'm going out to, to Colorado every weekend, and I'm driving like a man in a brand-new car. And I'm coming back on a Sunday afternoon, late, it's just about dusk, and I go through a big one in Nebraska, the speed limit's 55 mile an hour, and I'm, I, I slow down to about 70, and I come up on a cop who has somebody, a state trooper who has somebody stop. And I, I look down the street, because I was going over 100, I, uh, I look down the street, and I'm still going to 70, because I came through the town, I think he can't tell 55 from 70, besides he's busy. See? Then I go over the hill, and I just speed right smoothly back up to 100. And when I come over the next little hill, there's a policeman there, a state trooper, running radar. And I look down at my speedometer. I'm going over 100 miles an hour. I, I'm living hand to mouth. I'm spending all my money on gas running to Colorado. And now I have earned the highest ticket you can get in any state. Yeah? And I just take my foot off. I, I looked at the guys I went by. I, I didn't smile, but I, I looked at him like, yeah. And I took my foot off the foot feed, and I went over the next little rise and coasted to a stop. And, man, I can hear out the window when that, that uh, police interceptor engine started the growling thing that says, I've got to get somebody. Did you ever hear them do that? <laughs> I hope not, because when you hear that and you're in front of them, Things are about to change in your world. If I'd have had a quart of oil and put it on the road. Because <laughs> he figured if I was going 100, he had, the, he had that thing floored. And when he came up over that rise and saw me, he couldn't 
he couldn't possibly stop and say, so did this to me, la, la, la. Like, what is that? Face recognition? And he's embarrassed because he goes, well, Pastor, it takes him a long time to get that thing turned around. He comes back up, comes in behind me, asks for my driver's license, and he's speechless. He said, well, Mr. Rickley, is that how you pronounce your name? I said, Ricely, but it won't matter for the ticket. <laughs> he said, well, Mr. Ricely, he said, first off, I'd like to thank you for, for not making me chase you down. Never, but it never occurred to me I should make him chase me down. I mean, I was a long ways ahead because going 100 miles an hour, you're making up a lot of turf. And it takes almost double the speed. If someone's a mile ahead of you, it takes almost double speed to catch him in a reasonable amount of time. So I did the double the speed thing, right? Well, he'd have to be going 200 miles an hour. But I, I know, hey. So he said, I appreciate you. I said, well, I, you know, I, I've learned if you, if you do it, own up to it. And he just stared at me. He said, well, he said, I can't, he said, I, I'm thinking because I can't write you for what you were doing. Because he said, it'd be reckless driving. They'll take your license away. The fine would be about the same as your insurance payments, and then they'll double. He said, so I'm thinking what we've got to do. I've got to do something. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to write you for 15 over, 70 miles an hour. That's what I was doing. Right? <laughs> Boom, I'm guilty. <laughs> but I was relieved. When God catches you doing something, it's when you pull over and tell him, hey, you don't have to run me down. You don't have to catch me. You don't have to convince me. I get what I was doing. And that's the precious thing about what he's done to the body of Christ, you guys, is that when you do that, when you do that, he looks at you and says, look, this was many stripes. I, on this thing it says many stripes. But you know what? You pulled over. You humbled down. And I'm just going to give you a few. How will that be? It's like, wow, how about none? He said, how about a few? <laughs> I don't argue when he goes back to that supposition. The thing about the love of God is that He stays with you the rest of your life. And that's what we're learning. You guys, we have had some of the roughest services that we've had in this place in a long time. It has been grueling. Wednesday night when this place was packed, I'm thinking, they love beatings. <laughs> this crowd loves beatings. Because you guys, what, what's happening is that the Word of God is just bringing us up to speed on the fact but I've actually called you to walk. A walk you could never walk. You're going to need faith to do it. You need my blood to start the process. You need rebirth to begin it. I have birthed you of incorruptible seed. Don't corrupt it. Don't corrupt it. Okay. Premise is right. Plan is correct. Redirection, I get it. Redirect me. Take me down this road. You guys, that's what the Spirit and Presence of God is doing to us. He's bringing us to that place where He is finishing what He started in us. But only He can. But if I'm not part of something, the, one of the most wonderful things that you do is when you're really part of something that you weren't certain you could even do. 
I joined the swimming team. I wasn't, I, I loved to swim. I joined, this is the truth, I joined the swimming team just because they loved to play in the water. And man, the coach put us in that Olympic-sized swimming pool, and we swam laps, 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 laps. Man, I'm counting how many laps, and I realized, wow, I have just crossed the English Channel. <laughs> I thought I came to play in the water. He's wearing me to a frazzle. But you guys, what happens is that he wanted the discipline in me that says, you know what, how long can you swim? How long can you swim fast? How long can you give me your best? And that's what God's talking to the church about. How long? How long can we give him this best? Our best. Here's our deal. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are my people. When I start feeling sorry for myself, I think of those guys that had been brought into the captivity. They stayed faithful to God, and now they've been brought to a place that if they don't bow down to an idol, if they don't bow down to an image of something that has lifted itself up and glorified itself, if they don't bow down to that, then how easy would it be just to bow compared to the consequences you're facing? And those men said, no. No. And, and I, I love those two words that every believer needs to memorize. If not, if not, if you, if you, if you want a plaque on your wall, do that. If not, people say, that's kind of a catchy, is it poetry? It is to my ears. That's what they said. The God we serve is able. But if not, be it known unto you, O King, we will not. We're not even going to be careful to answer you. You know why you'd have to tell a king that? So that he remembers to burn you instead of killing you on the spot. Because he's got people around him. Don't let anybody talk to him like that. So we're not going to be careful to answer you, okay? God, we serve as able to deliver us, but if not, get known unto you, we will not bow. That's what your plan is. Yes, that's your plan. God, bring me through these places. Because the great thing about a church being tried by fire is it's got to go through those places. And you guys, in this country, we have, we have consumed pharmaceuticals at a, at a record-breaking pace. Listen, we're making China rich, making aspirin. Because you don't like pain. It's like, ow, ow, ow. And God says, I, I want a church that doesn't ow out on pain. And we go, oh, that would be a little church. <laughs> See, you guys, here's what we think. We think about these things that happen catastrophic to us and we forget about the wars that have wrecked this world, wrecked this world. Millions. Millions of people died in these these cataclysmic wars. We're not done with all the wars. But here's our thing. Here's our thing. What the Spirit and presence of, does, of God does is it puts inside of you either a reason to fight or no reason at all. And when you have a reason to fight, you become part of that line of defense that says, listen, I'm a line of defense that gets something that is encroaching. It's headed my way. If I don't stop it here, it's headed to my house. And if it gets to my house, I can't stop it there. So I'm going to fight now. And you guys, that's what goes on because each of you have a house. Each of us have a house. And what God's spirit and presence is talking to us about is, hey, how would you like to draw a line? It's like, okay, we can draw a line. But if you have things in your life that that tear up that faith that you've got, you see what the devil lures you into stuff for, you guys, is 
Because he knows that you will do stuff that you will believe God won't hear you now. You'll believe it. Just trust me. You, you'll do something. And, and the phone rings and say, look, would you pray for me? And you go, oh. I just, I wish, I wish I knew an hour ago I wouldn't have got in the fight that I've just been at. I've been yelling back and forth and, and I'm all worked up. And it's like, I, I don't know that I can pray right now. See, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to put you in a place by something that he can accuse you of so that you don't feel like you've got the authority and power of God moving in you when you need to have it move. And it will move instantly. And what you're learning is, I think I'm going to move with the power of God against this intrusion into my thought process that says I'm at war over an issue. You guys, there's something about the human nature that will argue itself into a corner and then lie. I know it gets quiet. I know it gets quiet there. So, I want you to go with me. I want to, I want to read a little bit over here in Hebrews chapter 4. I love the book of Hebrews. You love the book of Hebrews. So, this is in the New Testament. We all agree on that, yeah? It was written to the Hebrew people who had been filled with the Holy Ghost at Pentecost. Yes? yes? And they had been brought into a relationship with Christ that said, here's what matters. He's the blood. He's the blood that washes you clean. And he's not like the blood you had in the Old Covenant. That uh, blood went away. So every year it had to be renewed. Now this blood is never going to go away. Never go away. So I'm bringing you into a blood covenant relationship. And what I want you to do is have faith, like faithful Abraham, that I can bring you through to the finished product of this place. Okay, faith in you. That's easy peasy. Uh, I'll have faith in you. So then what he does is he brings us into a place where, he, where our emotional man has something going on, and he taps that. And he says, Abraham... You tell me that you're not going to have any child to leave your inheritance to? Look up. Abraham looks up. He says, see those stars? And you guys, he, he wasn't in a, in a cosmopolitan area. He wasn't in a metropolitan area. He wasn't in a well-lit area that you can't see very many stars. He was like where there was no light. Four candles will not stop you seeing the stars. The reason it's called the Milky Way is because people looked up and looked milky white. It just looks white. I happened to have seen it when I was in Africa. I was astounded by it because I was probably 80, 90 miles from any reasonable lights. And you guys, it's amazing how that reflection just, just changed everything. And I could see this, this place called the Milky Way. So God says, okay, Abraham, that's how many children you're going to have. Okay, that would be, okay, first off, you'd have to have faith that that could come to pass. But you would know it isn't going to happen today. It's not going to happen between you and a wife. Yeah, or even a bunch of wives. You know, that, that, that's too much. It's like, okay, this must be my posterity. But what he does is he brings to Abraham an emotional trial. Because he wants that child he wants him now. And he's getting older. Yeah? See, our emotions begin to enter into these things when we need that help. So, here's the thing. The spirit and presence of God knows how to bring us to a place that he says, okay, we're coming along because I told you to leave your family, you left. That was, sort of left your family. I mean, we're working on the thing still. See, that's how God deals with us. 
But you guys, because David had a lot of sorrow when he did. We forget the sorrow when God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom. And he knew that Lot lived down only because he brought him. It's like, wow, I brought that guy down. I can't go get him. He, he did not think, as soon as God's gone, as soon as the Lord's gone, I'm going to run down to Sodom and say, Lot, you've got to get out of here. God's going to spare this place. I already messed up with God once. So I'm going to leave this totally at him. See how this man has this sense of operating under the authority of God and under the presence of God. And now his emotional man is learning those things. But you know where he learned it? Back when God said, you're going to have a son. It's going to be like this. You guys, when God started that process, Abraham and Sarah both were, ding, we're going to have a baby. And the ding didn't happen. And after a while, you start wearing down about what's going on. And you guys, this is what God's spirit presence is showing me and you today. Faith. Walking with God by faith is like God making a promise and then you don't see it. See, we're a see it, touch it kind of people. Well, if you made the promise, then, you know, bring it. If you tell your children you're going to take them fishing, you tell them, go get the fishing poles, and, they, and you tackle boxes and get some worms, and then you sit on the back of your truck on the tailgate and cast down into the grass because you're going to teach them how to cast, and they catch you doing that. You, you, you've brought them to a place of, of actual questioning. It's like, okay, I thought we were going fishing. It's like, well, we're going to go fishing, but... We're going to do this first. Why? I'll cast when I get to the water. Yeah? Because there'll be something on the other end. Because here's what the Spirit and presence of God knows. The Spirit and presence of God knows that you need a, a, an understanding that God is a producer. And so, I don't understand what He's doing sometimes, but here's the thing. If you are learning to cast... There's some casting you have to actually learn without having the water around. Because if you're going to go trout fishing, you need that line to make that little swirly thing and go out. You need that little fly just to drop where you want it, yeah? And so the thing is, you can practice along the, the tree-lined river uh, if you want. But it's caught behind you, yeah? So what happens is that's very wise. And he brings us to these places, and he's sitting on the back of the truck. It's like, dry land fishing, Lord? I mean, I know you fill Peter's nets with fish, but, but you guys, you know what faith does? Faith says, I trust you what you're doing. I don't, I do not get what you're doing. But I'm headed into a process, and I know that you're going to show me something that I won't forget. That's going to make something in my life different. So did I tell you Hebrews chapter 4? Or did I just tell you Hebrews? Did I tell you where we were going to start? Well, we're going to start in chapter 3. <laughs> Look at verse 12 of chapter 3, real quick with me. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Okay. Unbelief in me can depart, can take me away from God? Yes? Wait a minute. I wasn't thinking about an evil heart of unbelief. Well, a good heart that has unbelief in it has an evil spot. Because unbelief is sin. And so what happens is, we're talking about, well, yeah, but I've been born again of the Spirit. I've been washed in the blood and I've been given this new life. So, I know that, that I can't work my way to God. Oh, absolutely not. You cannot work your way to God. And living holy, the Bible says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Living holy 
will not win your salvation. You can keep every scripture in the Bible. It will not bruise you again. It will not pay for your sins past. It will not pay for your sins past. So what happens is you realize, wow, I understand what this salvation is about. It's about a place that's a starting place, and I am brand new, but I am like Adam waking up on that morning of, of God making me. Here I am, a child of God. I walk with God. He talks with me. He and I live together. And what's wrong with me? Nothing, except I'm naive. I'm innocent. I'm easily convinced. And I want things, and I don't know that I could want them more than I want the relationship with God. And I don't know really how bad that would be that I want somebody more than I want God. And then one day he came back, and Eve had eaten the fruit, that he knew that God said, if you eat of it, you'll die. And he's standing there in that place wanting her. And so he decides, whatever's happening to her, I'm going with. I'm going with. See how this emotional stuff? He's a perfect son. God created him perfect, yes? God didn't create him with flaws, and God didn't want sin to own him. God hated that. No parent in this place would want your children overcome with sin. No. I guarantee you, you wouldn't want anybody you love overcome with sin. It's a treacherous thing. It's a destroying thing. And so Adam brings himself to this place that he has to make a choice, and you guys, he chooses to have Eve over God. So emotional things can move us away from the center of God's will. Born of God. Adam, Adam didn't have an a earthly father. He had a heavenly father, yeah? All he had to connect him to the earth was his mom. The earth. Okay, just, just talking to you about this thing. His mother was the earth. He was made from the dust, yeah? So, if your mother is the earth and dust, and you're a miracle made by God, God's your father, what are your chances of success? Because when you got born again, you were transformed. And what God did is He took that same victory power and He put inside of you His life, His life, and He rebirthed you. He rebirthed you and He made you exactly like Adam. Sinless. Your new man was sinless. It had every potential to serve God and to understand God and listen to God. Yes? So that's what salvation was. He said, okay, Jesus lived as the last Adam. The last man Adam, yeah? And he did exactly what God would have done on the earth. So he fulfilled the law that God would have for Adam to have lived and lived wise. Am I right? So Jesus lived through all the temptation that, that Adam lived through, that you've lived through, that every man, every woman has ever lived through. Jesus lived through it without sin. And what he did is he brought all of humanity to a brink of victory. And then he died for our sins to pay for everything past, to give us an absolute clean slate to start with nothing but a new man. And when you give your life to Christ, you become a new creature. Old things are passed away. That's why the Bible says it's not whether you're circumcised in the flesh or not circumcised in the flesh. It's whether or not you're a new creature. A new creature. And the new creature you are is like Adam in the garden. The new creature you are is like Adam in the garden. And when you understand that you have become that offspring of God, you recognize that from here it's all uphill. And all you have to do is walk according to His voice. And that's why he kept saying, obey my voice. 
And that's what we're reading over here in Hebrews. So what God's Spirit and presence is telling us is God took His people out of Egypt's bondage and He did it to show us about us. People say, well, that was the Old Testament. That was Moses. Yeah, well, here's our deal. The Bible said all those things happened for our admonition on whom the ends of the world will come. You and I can look at that and read that transcript and say, this is what affects my life. So here's the thing. Rebirth, what a treasure. And he fulfilled the law of God. So what he did is he brought into his mind total obedience. He knew the law of God. He knew every law of God. And he walked carefully in total obedience to every law. Then when he died, he said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So you guys, you get born again of the Spirit, and He gives you a mind that knows the law of God, what God wants, and how God wants you to act, and how God wants you to live, and He gives that mind to you. Now look, you've got a new man inside, and you've got this, this mind that knows to obey, did obey. Absolutely, in every test, He was flawless. And He gave that DNA to you. He gave that to you. That's why the Bible said you're the offspring of God. You've been born again of the Spirit. So what's happening is that God has taken that last man, Adam, who he put in charge of the whole world. He put Adam in charge of the whole world. He said you're over the wind, you're over the animals, you're over everything. Adam wasn't afraid of the animals. He had dominion over everything. So now Jesus comes back to the same thing. And that's what we see. And it seems like an anomaly. He's out on the, out on the sea and there's a, there's a tsunami bringing a, a wave and a, and a force of wind against the ship. And these disciples see it coming and they wake him up and tell him we perish. We're dead. We're dead. And he stands up, stops the tsunami. And all the wind and everything just stops. And these guys are saying, who has power over this? See, that's what Adam was. What God did is he put a man on this earth that could protect people and stop storms. If you had a dead person, because nobody died under Adam. God didn't make Adam to die. He didn't make Eve die. God didn't make man to die. Death was a wage of sin. Jesus came. So the same wage doesn't rest on us. When you get born again, there is no death rest on you. There's no death can touch you. And what happens is, more than that, there's, there's a place of a, a presence of God that would guide you. Because when you're a baby, you're not going to be out controlling the wind. Jesus didn't. He went through a terrible catastrophic loss when his dad died, his earthly uh, uh, foster parent. Joseph was a, a, a love to him. And he died before Jesus was an adult. He suffers this terrible loss. And I tell you something, he knew he was special in God when he was 12 years old, and Joseph is still there. So he knew, I, I, I'm going to God, I'm going to my father. He said, look, I've got to be about my father's business. Do you think that his father's business wasn't to deal with this issue? It's like, I'm going to lose my dad. I've got to do something about this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the will of God. I'm going to find out about turn this thing around. And he died. God's still God. And he's still son. It is, it is the thing that God brought him through that said, listen, you're not going to stop everything. When you were born and Herod was going to bring his army, I didn't say, bring it on, Herod. Bring me your army. I will, I will mess you over. You try to touch my son. He said, I sent a dream to your dad 
And I told you that in the middle of the night. Get that baby. Get him out of here. Harry's got to know him. He's coming over the hills to kill that baby. Here's going to kill your baby. Joseph got up in the middle of the night and said, Mary, let's get out of here. I've had a dream. And she goes, listen, you can't take much on the donkey. And he goes, all the way back to Egypt. You guys, here's the thing. The Spirit and presence of God says, Jesus, I didn't bring you here to rule over all the stuff that's going on like that. You let those things rule. You let those things go. I got bigger business to deal with. Yes, your dad died. And you're going to raise the dead. You're going to come back from the dead. But I want you to understand the vulnerability because you're not going to raise everybody until that great morning that everybody's going to rise. But until we come to that place, you're going to bring this stuff one step at a time and you're going to be in obedience to me and you're going to let me be God. It's like, wow, I want your will done in me as it is in heaven. And that's what God is teaching me and you is this sense of, am I okay? And can my emotional man get caught in a place that I'm expecting God to give me a child now? And I just, I'm so involved in this process that I can't let it drop. I just can't let it drop. God, I've got to have this answer. God, please do this thing. This man of faith, this man of faith, he's moving by faith. Now listen, and he just keeps moving by faith. Then, then Sarah has a physical answer. Physical answers are disasters. Yes? So what you and I are seeing is, wait, this living by faith is not an easy thing. Because we think of it as well, you know, um, if you're led by faith, stuff happens. Everybody say eventually with me. Eventually. Stuff happens. The confusing thing is it doesn't necessarily happen. When I was working in the jail ministry, I was praying for all those guys, and I would tell them, look, I'm going to pray that God will lower your sentence. I, I am praying. And I, I'm praying that God will do something in your life. And man, these guys came, honest to God, have real, real conversions. And all of them, you guys, they so changed. You could see in their eyes, this is not the same man. And when that happens, you know, God is on the move. And I could see these guys changing in the spirit and power of God doing those things. And I tell them, I'm praying. I'm, I'm just, let's just, talk, let's agree. God, you said a tune, so the grace touching one thing. And you guys, everybody I prayed for got a stiff, terrible, long sentence, including life. I finally told one guy, he said, pray with me. I said, mm, yeah, oh no. <laughs> you need to talk to, <laughs> you need to talk to people I've been praying with. It's kind of a kiss of the long sentence. But you guys, here's what I know. I know that the Spirit of presence God knows how to bring you to that place because those guys got used in different prisons, I'm just telling you, in a mighty way, in a fashion that continued to bring a reviving fire from God through their life. And you think, well, no, they should be set free. God said, no, I need this person in a prison. I need this person inside this place that he can minister all the time. The chaplain service is a no-go. These men need the spirit and presence of me in this place, and I can make a difference. And you guys, I have to just settle on that. It's like, so you're, you're letting these guys go to prison for a long time, but you guys, they were free on the inside, whom the Son has made free, who is free indeed. And the truth will make you free. So here we are in chapter 3. We're not going to have time to get to even chapter 4, are we? Here's our deal. Proverbs chapter 3. Take heed, brother, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief. Well, that's the reason we all came up this morning, because what we want is to overcome this stuff by faith. And what you say to yourself is, God, I, I'm not certain 
that I can overcome unbelief. Because you guys, it comes at you like, like a slab at the front of a train. And then you're just, you're just minding your own business and then this unbelief comes at you and go, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. God's still God. He's still a God who answers prayer. He's still on the throne. Then he says this, but exhort one another daily. Well, that, that is an important part because if somebody is having a difficulty with unbelief and is trying to draw them away from their trust in God, exhort them. Exhortation. Lift them up. Build them up. Bring the word to them. You guys, and you can do it to yourself. When, when David came back to Ziglag and everything was gone, his wives and children were in the hands of wicked men. You wouldn't want your children in the hands of those men. You wouldn't want your wives in the hands of those men. You'd be in a panic to get it away from them. David said, bring me an ephod. I'm going to ask God. Bring me an ephod. I'm going to ask God. You guys, God has always been there. He's always been a presence from the very beginning. I want nobody here that doubts that God will talk to you. God will talk to you. He put the children of Israel under a pillar of fire by day and a cloud by night so that or cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, so that you would never doubt that God would be with you. He would be with you the same way. That's the Holy Spirit. And He will guide you the exact same way. So that's how we're moving to discussion. But exhort one another daily. Paul's call today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Because you guys, unbelief is a sin, and we can be deceived by, by the fact that it hardens us. And we begin to believe, well, God don't, you know, I can't count on God to do this. I can't, I, I'm not even praying much anymore about stuff because everything I pray for, no, ah, ah, ah. <clears throat> what you want is to be absolutely certain. God answers prayer. God gets it done. He knows how to finish what he started. And the thing is, he wants you and me to understand it isn't going to come right away. That's why he showed us stuff in Abraham, the faith of Abraham. Yeah, just kept leaning on God. And when God did it, He brought that promise through. Now listen, God can deal with people in ways that bring us around. When the book of Esther tells us about Ahasuerus sending his seven servants to go get Vashti's queen, one of the servants was a mule driver. Well, here's my deal. Because it's a picture of God sending His seven servants to bring the bride, yeah? And she wouldn't come. But one of the servants he sent was a mule driver. So the first time I read that and I found out what that was all about, I realized, wow, God, we need some times that we just have that understanding. It's like, well, I'm dealing with the mule. And it's like the prospector that bought the mule from the old prospector. The old prospector said, this mule minds. This, all you have to do is talk gentle to her. She'll, she'll do what you say. The guy tries and tries to get it to come with him. Tries to get it to go across the little creek. Can't not. He finally drags it back to the guy that he bought it from. He said, this, this mule doesn't mind anything. The guy went on and said, that's bewildering. Walks around, picks the shovel out of the pack. Walks in front of the mule. Hits it between the hot eyes as hard as he can. Ding. And then he said, come on. And she followed him. She said, see, first you have to get her attention. Sometimes God has to get our attention. 
And so the thing is, you guys, we understand as well, what if that's getting my attention? So his presence brings us to this place that we understand what faith is all about. And we get that unbelief can harden us, and what we want is to have him bring us passion. And you can encourage somebody else and break that off. Yeah, you can. Now listen. Verse 14 says, For we are made partakers of Christ. Partakers of Christ? Partakers. We thank you very much. We are partakers of Christ. We partake of Him. Yeah? See, guys, that's, that's the part that we understand about our traveling through the victory. We start out as a baby Christian, but as we begin to grow up, we understand what it is. So Jesus didn't start out casting out devils when He was in the manger. He just laid there waiting for Mary to come and feed him. <laughs> so that's the thing. Because and, and when he was a little tight, he's just running around the place playing with stuff, losing stuff, changing stuff, you know, putting stuff down the heat event. <laughs> Jesus, have you seen my keys? Uh-huh. Do you know where they are? Uh-huh. Would you get them for Mommy? Ethan would put my keys down the heater vent. I said, honey, do you know where daddy's keys are? Huh? Would you help me get them? Uh-huh. And then he ran over to the heater vent, opened it up, and there's all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Don't tell me I haven't been on duty. I just wasn't there when the stuff was getting stored. But you guys, Jesus was a baby one. And he grew up, and you were a baby once. And, and so we go through that process like a baby. But the thing is, when we begin to grow up, God brings us to a place that things begin to grow us up. Our spirit man starts growing up. And you guys, that's what happens. We look around and we think, wow, I don't have very many friends. I don't have any friends. And you think, well, people in this church aren't very friendly. Everybody else seems to have friends, but I don't have any friends. Then who do you look at? Get your mirror out. Yeah? And you say to yourself, could I be the problem in this thing? And, yeah, we could be the problem. You guys, you see, we, we look at everybody else as the problem. You knew you were going to love this victory message. You knew you were going to love this faith message. Come on, this is a faith message. But what happens is, it's like I, I look my, in my mirror and I realize, wait, you know what? I'm not living up to the potential I should be living up to. The reason I'm looking in the mirror and this thing is looking back at me and I'm understanding, whoa, whoa, I'm inadequate to do the things that God's called me to do. And yeah, the reason I don't have any friends is because when I caught an attitude, I start being surly to them. I sabotage the things until they don't even want to be around me. And when I get done with them, I wad them all up with my mouth and I throw them away. And the truth is, you guys, we can't do that to each other. We need that seriousness about the spirit and presence of God that brings us into a place. The Bible says to have a friend, you've got to show yourself friendly. So you guys, isn't it? I mean, that's a simple thing. You think, well, I've, we don't need that on a victory Sunday morning. That's old hat. But here's the thing. It's what he said. Now listen. We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. We're a partaker of him. Because you know, he's the word, yeah? He's the life. He's, he's all these things. He's everything. And we partake of his victory. 
partake of his life. We partake of his word. Genesis, verse 15. Paul, it is said, today if you will hear his voice, if you'll hear his voice. You guys, this is a really interesting thing because as I'm growing up in Christ, one of the things is I have to hear his voice. When you're little, your, your parents talk to you, and it's interesting because we have to learn to talk to a child and get their attention. And so, you know, you think, well, I'm going to be a great parent, but I'm not going to shout at my kids. And then pretty soon you go, no, no, no. And then he's shouting if you're not on the microphone, yeah? But the thing is, it's like, and you, you, you see the name. He said, I wasn't going to do that. Of course you're going to do it. But the thing is, you guys, what you learn is that a child has to learn to listen. And that's, that's what the volume does. You're honestly trying to get that place where you're communicating with that child and get them to understand. Now, you can kneel in front of them and actually talk quietly. A child actually responds better if you're close and talk quiet. Everybody does. But the thing is, we forget that as we deal with these issues. Because sometimes you have four or five things going on at the same time. And it's way easier to communicate loud. So the Spirit of God talks to us sometimes loud. And when he's talking to you loud, when he's talking to me loud, he's getting my undivided attention because he knows I wasn't paying attention at a lower level. I want to pay attention. Okay. So this is it. Listen, I want to go. If you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts, it's in the provocation. Provoking? On the day that you provoked me, when Israel provoked him, you guys, what he said is, I don't want you to harden your heart or you won't hear my voice because you were provoking me. You guys, the thing is, I've got a dog that provokes me. And I hate to confess this. But he's, I bought him. I'd like to say, you know, that he just was a stray and I took him in. Or that he was in a shelter and I adopted him. No, I went and bought him. And he doesn't mind me. And he's super smart. He, he's, just, he's just a super smart dog. But when you speak his name, he looks at you like, catch me if you can. <laughs> And so it's like, okay, but he provokes me. You see what I'm saying? And so I tell him, you're provoking me, and I say in a really soft voice. But when I pick up something to hit him with, he's learned that when he provokes me, there's sort of a response that comes out. But I'm, and this, is just, this is tough love. I'm not really beating him. I'm just tough loving him in a system. <laughs> However much that takes. But you guys, God does the same thing to us. Yes, He works with us gently, but then He ups the voice. And what you and I realize is, well, I want to change. God has upped His voice lately. Now, He's talking to us about the day of deliverance. I believe today is the day. And some of you have things going on in your life you don't believe you could be delivered from today because it has been something a long time with you. But I believe it can be delivered today because God is a delivering power. And what faith does is brings us to a place that His Spirit answers these things. And what we've gone through is years and stuff of traveling with God. And now we come to this place, and he's telling us, I need you to be conscious of my voice, very careful. I need you to be obedient. I need you to drop the emotional stuff that would divide you. Because the enemy's going to try and divide you. There's a lot of this divisiveness in this earth. You guys, I'm telling you, the political arena in this country has turned into a kill or be killed kind of thing. It works against itself, but it will not solve a problem. It will leave a problem as gruesome as what's happening at our border. And it's poisoning the minds of the people of Central America. It's poisoning their minds against America. And you guys, here's the thing. 
what's happening is what, what every nation has done down through the ages. I couldn't go into Togo without a visa and a passport. I could not. They wouldn't let me in. I had to go to the, to the embassy in Accra or to the, to the crossing at Aslau. If I went to Palame or any of the other places to cross into Togo, they wouldn't let me. They sent me back to that place. So every country in the world does that. And Togo is a lethal, tiny sliver of a something. But they require those things. And you guys thought the Spirit of the President's God is telling us is this whole concerted effort is because this country is under siege. And what the enemy wants to do is bring divisiveness and warfare. And it wants to make trouble at our border. The same fences that were put up by Obama have become a threat against Donald Trump. He didn't put the fences in those places. Barack Obama built the fences. Come on, you guys. He's the one to put up the, the, the fences in there when he brought, started bringing thousands of people out of Central America. And nobody was saying anything about that being a crime except that we were saying, hey, you can't bring in 30,000 people into this country without visas. And he called them the dreamers. Yeah? Yeah. And you know why he put up fences? I told you this before. The reason you put up fences... And the reason you stop people at the border is because people without documentation can't prove who's mother and father. And there's people bringing little children across that border. And if you let everybody bring two children across, you are opening up human trafficking beyond your expectation or imagination. And so you can't put them in a place where there are walls. You can't put them in a place where somebody can get them behind something and nobody can see them. So you have to leave it open. Those fences aren't because we're trying to put those kids in prison. It's because we have to do checks to find out. If you don't have any documentation, then we have to do DNA and parental tests. We have to do paternal tests. Because we have to separate fact from fiction. And so what we're coming down to is that this issue is so big, it's not easily solved. But it is fought as though there's a problem with the president now. And you guys, here's the thing. We're seeing that this anger and frustration and misinformation is meant to make it look like this government's doing bad. And the truth is, we've got trouble in our country because there's hatred. So if you kill some people in El Paso, then I'm going to kill a bunch of people myself. Happened within 48 hours. Uh, am I right? 72 hours. So it's like you, you kill them, then a Latino does killing you. So you guys, here's what happens. We're letting this warfare happen in this country, and it starts with that kind of hatred. Now, the church has to have something that has the power against it. This is a storm coming. And you and I have to have the spirit and presence of God that can stop the storm from happening. And you're going to be in places that it can, and that's what you want, is to have God bring back peace when we need peace, because He's the one that does it. Now, I want you to go with me. Chapter 4, I want to read verse 10. He keeps saying, if you hear his voice, hear his voice, listen to his voice. Chapter 3, chapter 4, he's talking about entering into his rest, yeah? So, but let's go uh, verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Sabbath to the people of God. A rest. Okay? It's a commanded thing. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. When do you enter into a rest where you are ceased from your works? Yeah. Not because you decided today that you're entering into your rest, but because you really rest. Because you rest. And because you're obedient. What you understand, to enter into that rest, 
is that when you see what God said about rest, I want you to go with me real quick to the book of Exodus, chapter 31. Exodus, chapter 31. And I'm going to just do a real quick Bible study on you. If you want to come back and ask questions Wednesday night, bring your pencil and paper. Fred will give you answers. I'm, I'm going to be in, Lord willing, I'm going to be in Georgia at that prison, going to the prison. No. So here's where we're at. Exodus 31, I begin with verse 12. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak thou unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths, plural, my Sabbaths, ye shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. This is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. That you may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. The church is living without that sign. The church doesn't know anything about this sign. God said, you keep my Sabbaths. You keep my Sabbaths. This is going to be a sign between you and me that you know who sanctifies you. Okay, so sanctification, sanctification, when, when I get born again of the Spirit, I am absolutely clean from sin's past, I'm a brand new man, and I, I am under the mind of God that keeps the law, because Jesus kept the law, He fulfilled it, yes? But what happens is, I have to be sanctified, that means I have to be separate from the things that the world would draw me into, like doubt, like unbelief, like the Egyptian maid being my answer for my, my baby, yes? And by an Egyptian maid story, that's my baby. I got something else that I know is my answer to it is God made me a promise and this is the moment of, moment of the promise and until that comes to pass I'm not making a baby alone. Much as I would want it. Sanctification means that God brought Abraham <coughs> to a place he was sanctified. When he was not sanctified he made mistakes in the flesh that came back to fight against his son. They came to fight against his son. He opened up a door for a war against his own son. Through this other son he made. Listen, you, you, you can see what sanctification is. Abraham was a man who believed God has counted him for righteousness. He believed God counted him for righteousness, but he had to become sanctified where he stopped doing these things as God deals with us. Yes? So God said, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you Sabbaths that you have to obey. You have to rest in them. So, I want to talk about <coughs> the Sabbaths. Because one of the Sabbaths, of course, is a Saturday where you just spend time with God. We talked about that last week where you bring every thought into captivity, in captivity including doubt and belief. Yes? And so you don't let it in. And so you practice that all day. Okay, that's super good. Because you learn to, to be obedient to, to the impulses of God rather than doubt. But what he's talking about is other Sabbaths. So he's talking about the seven Jewish feasts, because every Jewish feast was a Sabbath day. So I'm going to run them down with you real quick, because there's seven of them. So he said, I want you to keep these Sabbaths. The first Sabbath is unleavened bread. Leaven is life. It's something that comes alive. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like an adult woman that hid uh, leaven in three measures of flour. And when she came back, it was all leavened. It just did it on its own. Leaven does that. So when you make bread, you, you put that flour in a bowl, and, you, and it'll just stay there. It'll lay there. You can even set it by the oven. Let it get warm for days. It will not grow. But if you put in it something to feed the yeast, sugar or, or malt or something, you put it in that bread, and you mix that all together, when you come back after it's set and got warm, it's bigger than it was. It's like, wow, my, my flour grew. 
That's life. That's what the leaven was. So God forbid his people to use any leaven in their house because leaven is teaching to God. He said, I'm going to give you my word. Don't teach it. Don't explain what it means. Just leave it historical. Yes? So he gave them the, the bread, and he said, we're going to start. The first Sabbath I'm going to give you is unleavened bread. Do not add your thoughts to my leaven. Okay? I want to show something to you. I know you're thinking, please, please do this Wednesday, but please let me do it today. In Matthew 16, I want you to read with me in Matthew 16 just real, real quick. Because it's where Jesus was talking about the um, leaven, okay? And so, he tells his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. We've talked about this a hundred times. But I just, I just want everybody that's in here today to see that one of the feasts that God wants us to deal with is leave his word alone with our carnal mind. Can you go with me on that? Keep your carnal mind off of it. Don't decide what I said, okay? So here, uh, verse 5 says, And when his disciples, I mean, Matthew 16, read with me, please. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they forgot to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed, and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we've taken no bread. See, they were thinking carnal. They were thinking physical bread. They were thinking physical leaven. It's because we've taken no bread. Verse 8 says, Which, when Jesus perceived, he said to them, Oh, you have little faith. See how he says little faith? You don't understand what I'm saying. Let your faith take it up to a spirit realm. Listen with your spirit. Let, let me bring you up to something that is that's more than just stuff on this earth. Oh, little faith. Listen. Oh, you have little faith. Why reason you among yourselves because you've got no bread? Do you not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? He said, how many loaves did you feed the 5,000 with? Five loaves. How many baskets did you take up? Twelve baskets, yeah? He said, tell me those numbers again. Five and twelve, yes? Now listen. Neither the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up? He said, don't you understand this? Don't you understand what I did in this miracle? Verse 11 says, How is it that you do not understand that I speak it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Now look at verse 12. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees, their teachings. They took the teachings of God out of their scriptures and they condemned Jesus for the things he did. They condemned Jesus for letting his disciples eating on the Sabbath day. Plucking the coin. You guys, what they were doing is adding their own teachings to what God said, and what they were doing is not sin. Jesus didn't sin. They didn't sin. He didn't break the Sabbath. They didn't understand the rest. Yeah? So here's where you and I are. The Spirit and presence of God. Jesus finally said to, the, to these Pharisees, is it, is it okay to do good or evil on the Sabbath day? He just asked them the question. Do good or not? And then he healed the man. So you guys... Here's what he said about the Sabbath. So the next Sabbath is Passover. Now look at this rest that we come into because you and I talk constantly about the rest of Jesus dying and shedding his blood for us. Yes? We're brought into the kingdom because he died and he shed his, we shed his blood. And we eat of him. We eat of the Passover lamb. So we eat the Passover lamb, which is the word of God. And we shed his blood on, uh, uh, for our salvation and we put it on the doorpost of our heart. And when, when the death angel comes, he can't touch us. 
Because we're protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes? So you see, does, it, does this sanctify you? Yes. So what is it that we still keep? The eating of the flesh of Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you guys, if I'm reading the Bible, I am understanding that this is how God sanctifies me. This is the kind of rest I come into. I'm sanctified by the Word of God. And that's what you want to understand. It's like God said, okay, I'm going to bring Abraham to a place of victory. And he got his emotions under control, but he could tell him to bring Isaac to the mountain and stand together. Yes? I only detained you so that Culver's would be empty. No sense waiting around while it's full. But listen to me, all jokes aside. Something's happened today that I believe the spirit and presence of God started with his presence and his spirit. And that is if you need a miracle in your life, if you believe that you have something in you that you aren't capable of overcoming, you've wrestled with thoughts or you've wrestled with things or, or you've even wrestled with stuff that you wouldn't want anybody to know about, here's our deal. When God brings us to a place like this and he begins to reveal those things to us and we begin to feel as though God's caught us. When you feel like God's caught you doing something, you realize that the reason he's done that is because he wants you just to bring it. It's like, well, you know anyway, God. And so what I want to do is I want to bring this for you to change in my life. Now, that's where faith comes in. Because what your carnal mind will tell you is, sorry, today's going to be just like yesterday. You're not going to be any different. That's a lie. Because today God has brought us to a place, and you guys... These last few uh, weeks, four or five weeks, have really been a time of God's uh, illumination about us. And it's just, he's, he's honestly been very corrective. And, and I, I leave here feeling like, God, I just, I'm beating these people, and I, I don't want it. That's not my plan. But you guys, I couldn't change what I felt like God was doing, but he's doing something in me as well, because I kept turning to me as well. Because God's dealing with me. He wants things out of me that His Spirit has to bring to a conclusion. So these last few weeks, I've said and done stuff, and I said, oh, that was bad. Um, gee, I will follow Jesus. And so uh, that's what the Spirit of God does to us. I, I bounced it at Josh and, and uh, talked roughly. And so, but he and I are buddies. We go back as, as far almost as, as uh, okay, other people. But the thing is... <laughs> Not mentioning names, Janie. But here's my go. <laughs> but you see, but, but the, the confession or the sense of God convicting me happened just like that. It didn't take a week for him to talk to me. It's like, wow, I always get a positive. But the Spirit of presence of God brings us to these places that he said, here's what we're doing. We're correcting it. And he said, you're not. I said, okay. He said, no, I don't. I mean, you're not. So you drop the attitude. It's like, I'm helping him. He goes, I'll help him. But the Spirit of God knows how to deal with me just like He's dealing with you. That's what the Spirit of presence of God does best, you guys. So what we want is to have that, that open door that just says, look, He's talking to all of us. But you know what I know? When He starts talking to all of us, He is telling me and you drop it today. And leave it. You leave it today. It won't, it won't stop you tomorrow. You throw this thing down and you walk over the top of it. When you leave this place, you and I will have done business. And you let your faith hold to that everlasting victory because he has victory for you. And I do not care what's going through your mind right now because that's just exactly what the devil tries to do. So here's our thing. I want you to do real business by faith. You tell the enemy, I'm done. I'm done with what you're doing. 
I want to go back to being that son that was just like Adam. I'm not going to disappoint God because I want something and I'm going to trade Him for that. I'm not doing it. You didn't come here this morning to trade God for nothing of the earth. And what you're leaving this place with is that satisfaction that says, okay, God, I'm bringing them, laying at your feet, and I am done. The enemy cannot touch me in this thing. I want faith to make that difference. I want faith to bring us through this stuff because we're knocking on heaven's door. We're praying for one another. The Spirit of God's not done with what He wants done in your life and mine. And so you and I have every reason to believe. God, bring back the simplicity of faith and the innocence that receives you as you are. God, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Lord bless you. Go in peace. And